0: Hello, and welcome to Remarks and Reflections, a podcast offering insights into topics that are important to the Hillbrook community and the broader worlds of education and parenting. I'm your host, head of school, Mark Silver, and I invite you to join us for what we hope are lively conversations about a whole range of ideas and issues that connect with our vision to inspire children to achieve their dreams and reach beyond themselves to make a difference in the world. Today's episode is the third in our hybrid learning series in which I talk with different members of our community about life at school during the pandemic. I am joined by Director of Teaching and Learning, Ilsa Doman. In her role at Hillbrook, Ilsa spends considerable time working with different teachers and cohorts. She has been at the forefront of our efforts to reimagine nearly every component of the Hillbrook experience, designing a program that provides a safe, Santa Clara County Health Department-approved in-person experience, and an engaging distance learning program for students and families who are not able or not comfortable being back on campus. Thanks for joining me today, Ilsa.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So I wanted to start, you know, for our families. I know it has been really hard to visualize the experience that is happening at different grade levels across the school. So perhaps you can start by sharing a few specific examples of how teaching and learning has looked in the in the classroom so far this fall.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I know um, listeners got a chance to hear a little bit from Heather Stinnett in a recent episode about all the ways that teachers are doing these pedagogical backflips to redesign their curriculum. You know, so many of the the projects and the lessons and even the small things, ways to come into the classroom, ways to connect with your advisory um, have to be redesigned this year so that we can keep kids and teachers safe. Um, and so there's been a lot of changes, but, you know, a lot of the the things that we've been able to do are still happening just in new ways Uh, I was in eighth grade science uh, a week or two ago, and there, you know, they're learning about phase changes and how atoms respond um, as they uh, increase in their energy and have a temperature increase. And particularly, they've been exploring some materials that have unusual properties for their phase. So they've been looking at uh, non-Newtonian fluids and um, making Oobleck. That's something that um, home learners can make with um, really simple around the house ingredients and that... Kids can be mixing in class, um, and they've been doing some diagramming of the the molecules of water and cornstarch that are making up that oobleck to help explain some pretty funny videos that they've been watching together, um, home learners and in-person learners, of you know people online who have built. Kitty pools full of oobleck and are throwing bowling balls into them and watching what happens. And so um, they've been able to.
0: What's the the, oobleck? You don't need to, like, I don't need the exact. I know we can Google this, but like, what's the basic ingredients of oobleck?
1: Yeah. So if you mix um, a whole lot of starch into water, it becomes like about as saturated as it can become and turns into this material that uh, behaves very strangely because while it is still um, a liquid with solids mixed into it, it behaves as a solid when put under pressure. So um, if you strike it um, at the top of the surface and turns out even with something like a chainsaw or a bowling ball, or um, they were watching a video of someone riding their mountain bike across the top of it, um, it becomes uh, something that behaves kind of like a solid because the pressure forces the starch and water molecules not to bond, but to become very close to one another, and so then it behaves more like a solid, um, whereas when you're not putting it under that pressure, it behaves like a liquid, and so um, if you stand still, for example, in the kiddie pool of ublek you'll sink into it, but if you run across, um, then you'll stay on the surface and and not
0: sink. That's great, it's yeah. such a, that's a great science experience. Also then, as to your point, kind of a great thing that both, whether you're at school or at home, it's an easy one to, to be able to experience.
1: Yeah. And it's one of those things that still allows eighth graders to spend their time, you know, looking at physical sciences, thinking about um, different kinds of bonding structures and different ways that molecules interact um, with a lot of the same, you know, practices that they would normally do. They're they're drawing diagrams, they're drawing force diagrams, they're connecting with partners to explain things, they're making predictions and then able to run tests. Um, but they're also doing something that's really appropriately funny for 13 year olds. You know, it's it's pretty great to watch a uh, try to be chainsawed. And that's the thing that we can still enjoy um, in this strange year when it seems like a lot of other enjoyable things are, are missing.
0: Yes. Both highly academic, but also fun.
1: Yeah. It's fun.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. And, and then um, some other examples, let's see in seventh grade, um, it, you know, they're in a really unique situation where with the stable cohorts Um, we wanted the children to be, you know, mixed and and in groups where they had, um, a nice uh, variety of social interactions and got to be with their friends and, uh, but they're taking different math classes in seventh grade. And so you've got children who are mixed in their cohorts and needing to take two different classes. And so, um, one of the ways that we've been supporting that is uh, with different kinds of co-teaching and even um, Amy, our head of middle school, who was a former math teacher for many, many years, has been doing um, some small groups and some pullouts um, so that those children who are in those mixed cohorts but taking different math classes um, can support their different needs for um, for the different content they're learning in, in algebra.
0: And yeah that's quite a benefit for those students for I mean Amy is you know a longtime math teacher uh, math department chair um, definitely deeply experienced in math so that's a good chance for her and at least a short way to get to reconnect with her roots and um, something that likely wouldn't happen in the same way if yeah, it wasn't for, sure. for covid 19
1: yeah and then you know the same thing of, of wanting to find good ways for children to um, enjoy one another, to be able to work collaboratively and to access similar content, but in really different ways, sort of more on the humanities side. I was in a fifth grade classroom um, last week, and they're studying ancient, uh, the first peoples who lived along the west coast of, of the United States, what's now the United States. Um, and they're in their small groups mixed across, um, you know, some home learners are paired up with some on campus learners. And so those children are getting into Zoom breakout rooms to work together. They're researching um, the different ways that these groups you know, had traditions and celebrations, how did they gather and prepare the different foods that were available to them? Um, and what were the technologies and adaptations that they developed, um, as a civilization in response to their immediate environment and and the kinds of challenges that they would have had. So that's a project and investigation that children would be researching in a normal year, but now it's, you know, happening in very different ways. And in some ways the, the need for them to the outcome of that is their, um, you know, each group is working on a different um, a different tribe and the different ways in which that tribe adapted to the situation where they were living. And the outcome is that they're going to be teaching their peers, their fifth grade peers, all about their, the group that they were researching. And in some ways this year, even more so than in a normal classroom year, the, the need for that presentation to be really high quality is even greater um, because the um, they authentically are having to present everything over Zoom versus being all in a room together. So it's a chance for um, Susan, the teacher there, to really be prompting kids not only to look at the depth and quality of their research, um, but also to be thinking authentically about the audience. So um, you know they were thinking together about, well, how do what kind of presentations do you like to see, and do you like it if there's a lot of text on the slide or if the or do you like to see visuals with just a little bit of text and then have it explained to you? I also happened to walk by while she was um, talking with a child who had picked out a photograph um, that you know they're they're working on um, which photographs you can use from Google Image that have the right kind of licensing. And this child had picked a photograph of the desert, and it was a Minecraft. Um, sort of reenactment of the desert, and um, sh- you know they were talking about, well, what color is the desert? You know, in this part of California, like let's look it up and really get on get on Google Earth and see what it looks like there. Oh, the sand is, you know, this color, and in Minecraft it looks really different. So we want to be accurate in our our representations. Um,
0: so. It's interesting. The, the presentation piece is interesting clearly students have so much more facility in some ways with technology certainly than they have had historically Um, and obviously this has been a bit of a crash course and yet it does remind you that students really do need the just like adults do really need practice to learn how to do an effective presentation there's a lot of skill involved with that Um, and I think your point is right like in in this environment there's a heightened sense of that but also a, a the students—it's so a more authentic experience, um, because to your point, the students at home—it have it has to be through Zoom, right. and so you can't kind of get away with the the, the, present, the presentation that you throw together at the last minute. You really need to put some thought and time into crafting a, a really uh, a, a well-designed presentation.
1: Right. And even for their peers on campus, you know, half of the fifth graders are in one room with Miss Timpano and then across campus, the other half of the fifth graders are in a room with Mr. Cabrera and they're having history class together, but they're not in the same physical space. And so um, if it's your turn to present and you're not in the room with the kids that you're presenting to, then you really better have the slides um, speak for themselves and uh, they're just going to be getting your voice. So um yeah, it's a whole different level of, of authenticity for the need for a presentation to be high quality um, and, and still a nice way that they can collaborate and enjoy working together in a small group. And then thinking about the lower school, um, you know, in writing, for example, in second grade, um, they're also taking advantage of children's um, interest in presenting to an authentic audience. And in the, um, you know, children are being, very interested and excited right now, both about the benefits and the challenges of, of sort of doing online school. And so they've been working on their writing in second grade, they're um, writing about small moments using a metaphor of the watermelon. They talk about, you know, the slice of the watermelon, and then even the seed within the slice is like this one really crisp moment that has these details that, you know, draw on the sight and the sound and all your senses and, um, So they've been writing these these stories that they're going to then share um, with first and second or first and kindergartners. So younger children on campus are going to be their authentic audience for these publications when they're finished. And just last week, they were um, working on the ending of the story and thinking about different ways that a story can end. So um, perhaps the ending is sort of a circle and it comes back to to where the story started. But now you have more information than you had when you read the first Line, Or maybe there's a surprise ending, you know, children that age love to write about um, something that happens. And then at the end, it's all a dream and you wake up and, you know, really, it's um, something different is going on or um, another ending that they've explored using mentor texts is um, an ending that teaches a lesson. So what's kind of the moral of the story? And then children are, are being challenged to write different endings to think about what's going to be the best ending for their for their story, um, in advance uh, to get ready for these, um, read alouds to the first and kindergartners.
0: It'll be really interesting to, to hear them. Did, did, were a number of them focused on this moment or they're, they're choosing moments throughout their life, I assume. Well,
1: yeah, they're telling, you know, things that have happened to them or real, um, real stories from their life. And so some of them do touch on, um, what's happening in school, but mostly they're about yeah other things um things happening at home or trips or summer memories
0: it's it what it, well, and it, which is nice it's the it's the reminder that even amidst a pandemic second graders are, there's still a lot of other things that are on second graders minds that sure. are, that you would hope would be on on the minds of seven and eight year olds yeah so you know thinking a little bit about this experience um what do you think have been some of the greatest challenges for teachers
1: yeah well i mean i think heather describing the pedagogical backflip was a g- it's certainly one of the primary ones it's um it's the hardest time to be an educator because you have built up such a repertoire of things that work well and of course you're in it because you love the age and the stage of kid that you teach and you want them to have this really extraordinary experience at school um And I think that's still happening for our students, but it's taking a lot more planning, a lot more forward thinking and a lot of redesign. You know, something as simple as, oh, we're going to, you know, play a 30 minute game of charades to practice some vocabulary terms becomes this whole production because you've got children at home who need to be able to have an authentic way to play the game and um children who are in another room but are in the same class that's happening and so how do you kind of transfer the sound and the sight and make sure that everyone has a a way to guess that makes sense so um even simple things have have been hard and a lot of the um you know, transitions that we were used to having. We've got this amazing campus, and kids in a normal year would be um, moving all around campus. And luckily, we're still outside so much this year. In fact, children are spending probably more time outdoors this year than they have even in in previous years because we're taking advantage of these tents, these outdoor classroom spaces, doing a lot of um, even seated, just kind of normal classroom work outdoors. But what's missing is the transition time. You know, children are no longer um, running across campus to go to library and then running back to have math class and then running over to art class and then coming back to have reading. You know, they're, they're in one area for most of the day. Um, and so teachers are having to come up with a lot of great ways for children to not only take the mental break that would have come with that physical transition, but then also getting the, the body break. Um, And so you'll see, you know, kids all the time walking into a a space and the teacher is doing, shaking it out, you know, with your left hand, your right hand, and then both your feet counting down from five or 10, um, doing big waterfall breaths where you're stretching your fingers to the sky and then going down to your tippy toes. And, you know, we're having to really build these things into even in 30 or 45 minute increments um, to kind of help children Learn strategies and routines for for resetting themselves and giving them that that physical and mental break that they need um, to get. It's
0: started. Really As you're describing this, I you know one of the things that I've heard people talk about a lot, and which you're hinting at a little bit, is you know it feels a little bit like you're a first year teacher. So even you know our most of our teachers are extremely experienced and you know been around for a long time, and it feels a little bit like they're having to do something for the first time. But the other piece, so that piece comes out a little bit in what you're describing. But the piece that I hadn't about as much I don't know that we've heard as much about which I thought which I think is interesting is that teachers have their bag of um, tricks and tools that they use Mm -hmm. to teach to engage with children and they're just Mm -hmm. being forced to go really deep into those Mm -hmm. all day in a way I mean it's the lack of um, kind of easy like there's no to your point there's kind of no easy moment Mm -hmm. right like typically after you've been teaching for a long time like there's certain easy things that you have during a day so there's there's kind of ups and downs you're kind of on all day and you're really having to um, manage all parts of the day. So, you know, so the day that might be to your point, like around things like transitions, which you just were like, great, you know, go run over to there and run around and get your, get your yaya's out. Like now you actually have to do like a design lesson. They know how to do it. It's not like they don't know how to do it. It's just yet one more thing that they have to do amidst all the other teaching, which I, by the way, I love that you started as we were describing, like all of the great teaching that's happening, right? There's so much teaching and learning happening on campus, despite the fact that they're in masks and stable cohorts and physically distancing.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So um, I've I, I consistently noted that what, you know there's nobody who would design a program like this absent a pandemic. Um, and then you and I have actually often wondered, along with some others, about like what, if anything, that we have designed this year might actually be an improvement over how we have done things in the past? And are there changes that we have made or are making that you expect might outlive the pandemic?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I think there's been um, a lot of instances where we've been forced to really rethink what's most important and hang on to the pieces that are core. And then, um, be ready to really quickly change everything else. And so, you know, out of that comes so many different ways of doing things. And, and undoubtedly, some of them are improvements. I think some examples have been, um, we've really tried some different things with the schedule this year than we, than we have in, in recent years. And of course, some of that is not things that we would like to keep forever. We we won't want to keep kids in their one classroom, you know, for half the day and do their, their body and brain breaks indoors. That's, that's no fun. Um, But I do think things like trying in eighth grade, the, the two week classes where children are having a really concentrated multi hour in a day experience with one of their English history, science or social impact and leadership teachers and really getting to see, you know, that's 20 hours over two weeks that you're, um, able to really like see a cycle of a project or see a unit um, begin, go through the middle and then close. And I think that is something that we're hearing from kids that many of them are really enjoying. They're getting to feel like they can see their, their learning expand and their understanding in a content area grow really rapidly in a two week period. And so that's feeling um, engaging and satisfying. We've also heard from students, and this has been a little bit of a surprise to me, that um, you know, being forced to be in some smaller groups that maybe they wouldn't have picked exactly for themselves, they've connected to a peer who you know maybe they were friends with when they were in first grade, but they've kind of fallen out of touch, um, or maybe it's somebody who they've really never known very well in their class, and even though it's a small class, maybe they've not played together or eaten lunch together in you know, three, five, seven, or ten years. And now all of a sudden they're having this really bonded moment over this hard time and and finding out, you know, new things about people. And so I think we're seeing some ways in which um the restriction is actually promoting um um you growth and discovery for kids that perhaps will hang on to. Um I think on the teaching end, there have been some nice things that we've had to shift about the ways that teachers are learning and working together. So with the stable cohorts um, in the different classrooms around campus that are sometimes doing a, an experience together facilitated by technology um, with the home learners, the the technology facilitation, you know, can be Um, sometimes just feel like it's making things harder. But the the co-teaching that's happening, I think, is really powerful. And the way in which, for example, all of our specialist teachers right now in lower school um, are really on a team in a way that they haven't previously needed to be on a team. And so the Spanish teacher and the art teacher and the library teacher are tuning into a class together and facilitating one another's um, lessons with a small group of children, and that's giving them a depth of, of insight and understanding into one another's curriculum um, that's producing a lot of new projects and a lot of new um, cross disciplinary things that I, I hope will stick around.
0: Yeah, that's a, and that's a great example because, it, it, in the year in which it's also, I think, often felt very isolating, like in terms of the actual physical interactions that we're having with colleagues around campus. To your point, there's actually a lot of interactions that are happening, particularly in the virtual space, which haven't happened before, and and, and kind of forced interactions, forced um, connections that are I'm sure going to lead to some really interesting um, opportunities not only this year but but in future years. So, last question, um, and I you know heard some people say that they worry and, and this is less at even at Hillbrook but more broadly, but ask it at Hillbrook, um, you know, that there's this is somewhat a potentially of a lost year. Um, you know, with with all of the challenges, with all of the limitations that we're facing um as schools. What would you say to that? In terms of Hillbrook in particular?
1: Yeah. You know, it's a hard year. It's hard for all of us and, and school is hard, but people's home lives are hard too. And um, you know, it's been it's been an incredibly um, interesting year with COVID, with the forest fires, with the elections, with racial protests across the country, protests for racial equity. There's a lot happening and, and children are aware of, of all of it um, and are really, I think, watching adults closely to see. Um, and they know that a lot of these things are not they're not good things. And so I think children are learning a whole new set of skills and awareness that, um, you know, will be really good for them. And so, uh, you know, are there some, some ways in which I, children i i was at um i was in lunch duty the other day and there were some seventh graders who were talking together and one of them was new to the school um and they were playing a game that they've invented with the soccer ball and they have this very kind of smaller recess area than they would normally have and they've invented the way that you like kick the ball and if it hits certain places where certain points and there are people on the sides who have a role in the scorekeeping and. One of the seventh graders was describing to the other seventh grader. And, you know, in another year, this isn't a game that we would play here. Like we would be allowed to be all over the field and we, and we wouldn't play this game. This is a new game. And I was thinking about all the ways that children are are narrating this experience and learning what it is that they can do when something really surprises you um, and what capacity they have to to create for themselves, for their peers And for their community of of parents and teachers and, you know, everybody at the school, they, I think, are learning that they can create for themselves replacements for what's been lost. They can find joy and calm and um, community connection and that they have a lot of control over that, a lot of agency in it. And I think they're seeing that modeled by the adults um, and are finding their own ways, you know, to really surprise us. Um, with with the fun that they can have. So I think it's not lost in that sense. I think children are actually learning more this year than they maybe ever have before.
0: Great. Well, Ilsa, thank you so much for talking with me. You, Those who don't know you well have the opportunity to hear what a thoughtful and um, intelligent and, and resourceful teacher and leader that you are at the school. And what, as you were talking about the seventh graders, one of the things that strikes me is, I mean, you have been such an incredible role model for people in terms of how to um, pivot, to be thoughtful, to be reflective, to remain calm, um, and also to recognize that it's been really hard, you know, and, and, to, and to honor those complex feelings that people are having. So I, I am incredibly grateful to have you as a, as a partner and, and as a colleague, and the school is really fortunate to have you, um, particularly in, in this year. So thank, thanks for joining me today and, and sharing some insights into, into what's happening on campus.
1: Thank you, Mark. Thanks for the time.
0: You've been listening to Remarks and Reflections, a podcast of Hillbrook School. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can also find the Remarks and Reflections blog post at hillbrook.us, another space where we are looking to connect with and engage members of our community in conversations important to our school, education, and parenting. And as always, you can find our school on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, our website at hillbrook.org. Thanks for listening. Have a great week and be your best.